that, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 to 17 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Woman Persecuted. And we started out in this 12th chapter of Revelation looking at two signs that we saw in the beginning of this chapter. Uh, the first one being that sign that's referred to as a great sign of a woman. She was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head there was a garland of 12 stars. That's the vision that John was seeing there in the moment. And we came to learn, and I believe that it, it's speaking of this, that this is symbolic of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is prominent throughout the book of Revelation and really prominent throughout the whole Bible. The second sign is in verse 3, where John saw a great fiery red dragon, which had... A description in verse 3 of the old serpent. Remember the old serpent that was in the Garden of Eden? The tempter that came along. And he's also referred to as the devil in this verse. Uh, which by definition means that he's a accuser. He's a slanderer. And then he's also referred to in verse 3 as Satan himself. And in the Hebrew, it's the word adversary. And he is that to each and every one of us. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's our adversary. He's Satan. He is the devil. We see his workings throughout the book of Revelation. And when we get to the end of this chapter, or going through into the next chapter, as I've shared already, things are going to increase. We still have ahead of us the vile judgments, the bold judgments they're referred to as, that are yet to come, that are even going to be more intense than what we've already read. In the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, verse 30, we read this concerning Israel's future. When you, Israel, are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forsake the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. God raised up a peculiar people, a special people, a holy people, a people whom he loves, and they were unfaithful. They turned to other gods. They turned away from him in disobedience. 
Yet we read a verse like this. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. That brings great hope to us, doesn't it? He will not forsake you. He will not destroy you. And that covenant that God made with the nation of Israel, with their fathers, when he swore by them and by his holy name, that he would fulfill the promises that he made to the nation of Israel. That's what we're seeing transpiring throughout this book of Revelation. I've already uh, shared that the book of Revelation is primarily Jewish in its symbols. In the typology that you, that you see in this book, that's what quite often brings confusion as you read the book of Revelation. We don't quite get the types and the, the various things, but to a Jew, it was very clear what was being said. To John, as he was seeing this vision, it was very clear to him what he was seeing. We can see throughout the book of Revelation various symbols and types but these types and symbols, they all speak of a coming day of trouble for God's people Israel. Remember I shared last week that they would suffer double for their sins. You see, God will judge sins. Even the sins of the nation of Israel, they've suffered greatly for their disobedience. It's because of God's mercy, because of his faithfulness, to his promises and covenants, that they even have any hope, that you and I even have any hope, because our God is merciful, and our God is faithful. We read also in the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says, At that time Michael, we've read this verse, Michael the archangel shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. He's speaking about Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. God is going to punish and judge the nation of Israel for their disobedience. God must judge sin. God will judge sin. God will judge those who in unbelief turn away from God. He must if he's a holy God. The book of Revelation, it speaks of a number of different things that a Jew would be able to relate to. They understood a Messiah. They understood what their prophets foretold of a coming Messiah. Yet they're going to be deceived when the Antichrist comes on the scene as a false Messiah. 
the 144,000 Jews that we read about, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, all Jewish. These are sealed by God, evangelists that are going to be evangelizing during the tribulation period. The two witnesses that are going to also be used by the Lord to bring forth the gospel during the tribulation. You read about the land of Judea. We read about the city of Jerusalem. We, see, we read about the signs that are in heaven. We read about the covenant and the sanctuary, the, sanctify, the, the sacrifice and the oblation, the millennial kingdom that's to come. These are all Jewish. These are all things that we read as we go through the book of Revelation. And you'll see why as we go forward. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, we see the woman. Remember who the woman is. The woman is who? Israel. We see the woman fleeing into the wilderness where she has a place, and you might make note of this, a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. By Jewish calendar, that's three and a half years. A three and a half year period is yet to come. Like I shared in chapter 12, we're about in the middle of the tribulation period now. In the middle of that seven year period. There's going to be a place prepared by God where God is going to save a remnant of his people, Israel. In the book of Jonah... And I thought this was interesting, but in the book of Jonah, we read about how the hand of God was upon Jonah. You see, even in Jonah running away from God, even with Jonah in his disobedience to God, we're told that God prepared a great fish to save Jonah, to save his life. You can read that in chapter 1, verse 17, that God prepared a great fish. We also read that God prepared, in the book of Jonah, he prepared a plant to shade Jonah's head. You read that in chapter 4, verse 6. It protected Jonah's head from that scorching sun. And then we read also in Jonah that God prepared a worm. In chapter 4, verse 7, that worm was prepared by God to damage the plant. And then he also brought about an east wind in verse 8, which God used to discipline Jonah. The point being is that God prepared these things. And God has prepared a place where Israel is going to flee to, where God is going to save a remnant of his people. What I like about the whole idea of God preparing these things is that that tells me that God is intimately involved 
in our daily lives. He knew that Jonah was going to run away in disobedience. He knew that the nation of Israel would disbelieve that he was the Messiah. He knew that they would turn to idols, that they would go the other way. Yet God prepares this place that they can flee to because God is going to be faithful to save a remnant of them. That's amazing to me. That's the kind of God, that's his character, it's who he is. You see, 4,000 years of history have passed from the calling of Abraham. Remember that Abraham is Israel's father of faith. Father Abraham, the father of faith. He is that to the nation of Israel even to this day. Abraham. And God has already fulfilled a prophecy and brought Israel back into their land. He started bringing them back into their land after being dispersed from their land for 2,000 years. And God says, now in my time, I'm going to bring them back into the land. And in 1948, Israel was reestablished as a nation. Only God can do that. And God did it. Why did he do it? Because he prophesied that he would. And it has come to pass. Yet today, Israel and many Jews that live uh, in Israel today, it's estimated that 45% of the Jews today, they identify themselves as either atheists or secular. They're, they're, they're not associated with any religion or religious activity at all. And that number might be higher than that. 19% are traditional in their beliefs. 11% consider themselves religious and 11% consider themselves ultra-Orthodox Jews. Small portion. And many Jews today that re still are rejecting fact of Jesus being their Messiah, the people whom he loves, living in re disbelief even today. We finish last Sunday in verse 12, it reads, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Remember how Satan, we read last week, was cast out of heaven? Cast down to the earth, never to be able to return into that place in heaven where he had access before? Now in the tribulation period, he's going to be cast down to earth. And in that, all of the heavens are going to break out in rejoicing. I believe we're going to be there as a church. I believe we're going to be raptured in the presence of the Lord and all of the holy angels and all of the church age saints are going to be rejoicing when Satan 
And all of those angels are cast out of heaven and cast down to the earth. But as he has been cast down, or when he will be, he's going to come down with great wrath. Because he knows he has a short time. Remember I shared that even Satan himself knows prophecy. He knows that he has a short time. And he's angry. And he's going to do everything he can, if we could put it this way, to take down as many people with him as he can. We need to know this, that Satan will never stop. He never stops his relentless pursuit against you, does he? And he will never stop his relentless pursuit against God's people, Israel. He's going to continue right to the very end when he's cast into the lake of fire to pursue, to kill as many Jews as he can. What we see today is anti-Semitism growing rapidly. All you need to do is watch the news or go on and just Google anti-Semitism today. And see how many articles come up against the nation of Israel, against Jews, and how much is being said about why. And as we know from the book of Ephesians, we know that it's a spiritual battle that is raging. It's not just a political battle. It's not all just about what Israel, this is spiritual, and there is a spiritual battle that is raging Behind the scenes, anti-Semitism is a sign, I believe, of the last days. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah prophesied in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. That's a big God. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. To who? To all the surrounding peoples. Everyone that surrounds Israel today. I'll make them a, a cup of drunkenness. When they lay siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. That's God's holy city. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Just look at the nation of Israel. This small little portion of land that is so strategic, that has so much wealth in it. But here's the problem. This world and many of the nations of this world, they hate Israel. They hate Israel. The people, the, uh, the Jews, they hate them. 
Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual. And our God is going to intervene and has and will again intervene on their behalf. Let's read our text this morning together. Verse 13 to 17. As I read it and as you look at it, I want you to notice some repeated words that we see in these verses. It's the word, the dragon, the serpent, and the woman. See how many times you see it. Starting in verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman and he might, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The dragon, the serpent, the woman. It, it, what we're seeing in this 12th chapter is we're seeing war raging in heaven and war raging on earth. We're going to see as we continue on this morning that God has a plan to protect his people. God is going to preserve a remnant of his people, Israel. We can clearly see from this chapter that this war in heaven and this war on earth are all being orchestrated by Satan himself. Spiritual warfare. At its highest point, I mean, this is going to be, this is at the end. He knows his time is short. Look again at verse 13. Now when the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan. He saw that he had been cast to the earth. It's interesting that it says he saw that he had been cast to the earth. Something that had never been done before. He now has no longer any access back into the heavenlies. He's been cast to the earth. And in that, he persecuted the woman who was Israel. Who gave birth to the male child who is... Who? Jesus Christ. That the male child... Jesus would come through the people of the nation of Israel. You see, it's the dragon or Satan who's going to embody the Antichrist. 
Remember Judas Iscariot, the night he betrayed the Lord? It says that Satan entered into him. He was a human vessel that was possessed by Satan himself. The Antichrist, another type. He's going to be a human vessel that is going to be possessed by the devil, by Satan himself during the tribulation period. It's going to cause him to be on a relentless pursuit of persecuting Israel, killing every Jew that he can kill with his armies. He's going to be on that pursuit all the way to the end. Persecuting the one who had given birth to the Messiah. Do you see any spiritual implications there? Satan hates Israel even for that. This word persecute. He persecuted the woman. It can be rendered to drive away. To drive out. To run after to pursue. Here's the Antichrist and his armies pursuing the Jews that are going to be fleeing from there in Jerusalem in the middle of the tribulation period when they realize they've been deceived. Remember what we keep looking back to in Matthew chapter 24. That's a prophetic chapter. Matthew 24, verse 15, tells us, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, by the way, he spoke of this, standing in the holy place, that's going to be that new Jerusalem, that tribulation temple there in Jerusalem. Let those who are in Judea then flee to the mountains. Let him who was on the housetop not go down and take anything out of the house. Let him who was in the field not go back and get his clothes. Why? There's going to be an urgency. Satan and his army, the Antichrist, is going to be pursuing, persecuting and pursuing you as you flee from Jerusalem and go to that place that God has prepared for you. It's amazing. Jesus says to the disciples, when you see the desolation of abomination, when the people see that the Antichrist is now setting up his image within that tribulation temple that's going to be rebuilt, by the way, flee to the mountain. Get out of town. Do it quickly. And it reminds me of even in 70 AD when Titus came in to destroy Jerusalem then. And 1.1 million Jews were killed by Titus and the Roman army. And the remainder of those Jews, a thousand of them, they fled to Masada. And those Romans pursued those Jews. And not only did they do that, but they encamped around the bottom of Masada. And for five years, 
They built a ramp until they could get to the top of that, break through the wall to kill those 1,000 Jews. That's how relentless they were in their pursuit of killing every Jew. I've got a picture. Next picture, I think it is. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Again, typology. Again, symbols. Again, something that I believe the Jews would recognize. Look what it says in verse 14. But the woman, again, that's Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for how long? For a time, that's a year. For times, that's two years. And a half a time, which is a half a year, three and a half years from the presence of who? The serpent, Satan, the Antichrist. First, we see here that Israel was given two wings of a great eagle. As I've shared in some past studies going forward here about some of the things that uh, interpretations that people give, it's interesting that there's been some that have interpreted this as this, these two wings of this great eagle as being the United States Air Force. I have a problem with that. I don't think it's going to be the United States Air Force. You know, you've seen the, the wings. That's going to be protecting Israel during this time. I believe it's going to be God Almighty. The one who is going to protect and preserve his people. Remember that Revelation is just a summary. What you're reading in the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation is a summary of everything that the Old Testament prophets said would come to pass. As a matter of fact, there are over 500 uh, references uh, to Revelation found in the Old Testament. Over 500 passages that speak of what we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. You see why it's so important to know the Old Testament so that the book of Revelation becomes a lot easier to understand? The two wings of a great eagle in verse 14, I believe are symbolic. I believe that they're an illustration that, that took a Jew back to the Exodus even. Back to the Old Testament when God delivered his people from the bondage of the Egyptians. We're told in Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you, speaking about Israel. How I bore you on eagles wings and I brought you to myself. Again, the Jews that knew their, know their Bible, when they read this, if they know their Bible, they're thinking back. Oh, 
you think of the eagle and the strength of the eagle and bearing on the wings of an eagle and being delivered. That's what's being spoken of here. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. That place that God has prepared for them. Why was Israel given these, these wings? To escape. To escape into the wilderness. To go to that place, as I shared about Jonah, that God has prepared for them. And it shows us his faithfulness, doesn't it? Look at, look at, look at all the rebellion and disobedience. And God says, but I've got a place prepared for you. And I'm still going to show my mercy towards you. And I'm going to let you go to this place where I'm going to preserve you and protect you from the Antichrist and all of his forces. Because I'm faithful to you. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 26, verse 20. He says, Come, my people. Enter your chambers and shut your doors. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. You see, this area where Israel is going to flee to is going to become a place where God, when he returns, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to go to this area of Basra, and he's going to deliver there a remnant of his people. It's going to be the first of a campaign of battles that is going to finish in the Battle of Armageddon at the end. One commentator wrote describing this city of Petra. Uh, he, uh, he's, he described it this way. He says the only way in and out of this city is through a narrow passageway that extends for about a mile and can only be negotiated by foot or by horseback. This makes the city easy to defend and its surrounding high cliffs give added meaning and confirmation to Isaiah 33, 16. The name Basra means sheepfold. That's what the name Basra means, this area. It was a sheep herding place. It was, it's referred to as the sheepfold. Interesting. An ancient sheepfold had a narrow entrance so that the shepherd could count his sheep. Once inside the fold, the sheep had uh, more room to move around. Petra is shaped like a giant sheepfold with its narrow passage opening up to a spacious circle surrounded by cliffs. I think we have some pictures here. Um, couple forward. 
there's the entrance, if you can see it. If you're in the back, I don't know how well you're seeing it. The entrance uh, is called the Sig that leads into the rock city of Petra, this one-mile little pathway that you have to walk through to get to the part that opens up. Go to some of the other, there's their pathway. Some of those, the parts of that pathway are only 13 feet, 10 to 13 feet wide as you're walking through. Uh, when you get to the end of the SIG, you see the, the carvings in the, the room that's ahead. You get to the end of the SIG and that's what you walk out into. What's the, what, give them the next one there. That's an aerial view of that. That's there today. How many of you have ever been there? Anybody? No one's been there. Oh, one. We got one that's been there. Uh, I went to Israel, but I never had a chance to go out to Petra. How interesting. Go to the next slide. That's looking back from that treasury, looking back at the SIG. That's the exit when you come into that area from Petra, and it's really believed by a lot of commentators that this is the place of refuge where God's going to allow Israel to flee to. Uh, go to the next one. Just showing some other things. This place is big. Uh, a monastery there, a tomb that's in there. Uh, some more stuff that's inside of Petra. Go to the next one. The next one there. Great Temple of Petra. That's within there today. A theater held 8,500 people. There's your view, general view of Petra. God has a plan protecting his people. And God is going to use this, I believe. I believe God's going to use this. It's about 100 miles from Jerusalem. So they've got to make a 100-mile trek. When they believe that they've been deceived, they're going to start making their way. They're going to flee I believe, to this area of Petra. That God has prepared for them. They're going to go to the sheepfold. Where God is going to preserve them during that time. The word in verse 14, for the woman was given, are important words. The woman was given. They tell us that God has already prepared the way of escape for Israel. God's not making any of this up as he goes along. He already knows exactly where his people will flee and how he's going to protect them and preserve them. And not only has God prepared a way of escape, but he's also prepared a place of protection, Petra, the rock city of Petra. And he's going to provide all the things that are necessary for her to be able to survive. The nourishment that she'll need to live there for that three and a half years that they will be in that city. What we see in chapter 12, though, is really something I believe that is a supernatural deliverance. I believe it's divine protection that we're seeing here. We're seeing provisions by God 
that are coming from the hand of God. Have you read in your Bibles of any other time that God has done that? You see, God doesn't change. God is going to do the same things that he has done in the past concerning his people. Remember those 40 years out in the wilderness? Do you think that was divine protection by God as they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years? As God fed them and gave them water and their shoes didn't even wear out for those 40 years? That's God. That's the faithfulness of God. That's God's divine protection. Listen to Deuteronomy 32.11. As an angel stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreads out its wings, taking them up and carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led them. That's our God towards Israel. Just like that eagle. I've never seen that done. As he stirs the nest, hovers over it, spreads out his wing, and then takes them up and carries them on its wings. That's our God protecting Israel. But in the book of Daniel, in chapter 11, it tells us that the Antichrist is going to eventually, and I believe by the middle of the tribulation period, he's going to come into the glorious land it's referred to as. He's going to come into Israel and set up his base camp with his armies. It's called the glorious land of Israel to make war, we're told, with the king of the north and the king of the south. I believe this is going to happen during about the middle of the tribulation period. It'll probably be in that time that the Antichrist is going to go into that temple. And he's going to place his image in the temple. And he's going to demand that the Jews would worship him as God. That's when they're going to begin to flee. And then there's going to be this all-out pursuit from Satan. From the Antichrist, the false prophet and his armies as they pursue after Israel. As they flee away from Jerusalem. Make that hundred mile trek out to Petra. He shall also enter the glorious land, we're told. Speaking of the Antichrist. And many countries shall be overthrown. But, there, but these shall escape from his hand. And there's only two that are listed here. Actually, three areas here that are listed that are going to escape from the hand of the Antichrist and his armies. It's the area of Edom, the area of Moab, and the prominent people were told of Anan. These are all areas in modern day, I might have a map up there, modern day Jordan. This is also the area of where Basra is. It's all the area of Basra where the Lord is going to intervene in that time. He's going to be able to overthrow all the other nations that are around. But he's not going to be able to 
overthrow these areas of Edom and Moab and Ammon. He's going to be unable to overthrow these regions. The Lord, I believe, is going to return to this area where this remnant of his people are being preserved in Petra during that time. We read in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 63, verse 1. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom? And listen how it describes who's coming from Edom. With dyed garments from Basra. Basra, remember, means sheepfold. This one who is glorious in his apparel. Do you see that? Traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads in a winepress, why are they all stained? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people no one was with me. For I, am, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all of my robes. Why? For the day of vengeance is, is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. When Jesus Christ intervenes, to save a remnant of his people, a remnant of Israel there in Basra. This is going to be the picture. The Lord is going to come back in that moment. This is going to be the first place I believe that the Lord is going to return what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to finally end up in the Battle of Armageddon after a couple of other uh, wars. It's going to end up in the Battle of Armageddon. The prophet Micah describes an assembly of Jacob. Remember, Jacob is Israel, a remnant which will be gathered into a fold, and that fold, I believe, is Basra. The one who breaks them out is a clear reference to the Messiah, the Good Shepherd. Micah chapter 2, verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, a remnant which will be gathered, uh, excuse me, I will surely assemble you, all of you, Jacob, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, I will put them together like sheep of the fold, that word fold there is Basaria, like a flock in the midst of their pasture, they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. The one who breaks open <clears throat> will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. I believe that this is all speaking and prophetically speaking of what's going to transpire when the Lord brings them out of Petra in that day. The Lord declares, I will put them together like the sheep of Basra, which was the region of Edom, 
that was known for these sheep. These references to Edom and Basra <clears throat> are indicators that the second coming, that God has business to take care of, first of all, in Edom. And that business is going to be to defend. It's going to be to save a remnant of his people. According to the book of Zechariah, those who pierced him, speaking about the nation, they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. There are going to be many Jews that are going to get saved in that time. This is also going to be the start of this second coming, as I said, of Jesus Christ that will lead to a final battle of Armageddon. Look at verse 15. The serpent, we're told, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now it's interesting that uh, concerning this verse, there obviously there's some different opinions as to whether or not this is symbolic or whether or not this is literally speaking here. For some, the serpent spewing water out of his mouth like a flood is symbolic or it's a figure of speech because it says in the in verse 15, like a flood. It says, like a flood. There are others that take this and read this in a literal way. I say that it's going to be some way in which Satan and his armies are going to be able to produce this flood that is going to be something of a supernatural, something natural, supernatural that's going to transpire, but then the earth is going to help the woman. And so we know that symbolically, we know that there's other occasions where we see similar wording. We know that in Ezekiel 38, when Russia is going to come down on Israel, which I believe is going to be at the beginning of the tribulation period, that it tells us in Ezekiel 38 that they're going to ascend upon Israel like a storm, covering the land like a cloud you and all of your troops and many who are with you. And so there is this symbolism like Israel or like uh, Russia and the armies coming down upon Israel like a flood. And so it could be interpreted that way. But there are others that take it in a literal sense. It says in verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Now, when I read that, it, it, it sounds to me like it's literal. Like the earth is opening up, and I started thinking to myself, well, why would I question something of a literal sense here, when when we read our Bibles in the Old Testament, we don't question those times that we read in Exodus, where the Lord parted the Red Sea. Something supernatural like that. Where the Lord, uh, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 23, where Moses stretched out his rod towards the heavens and the Lord sent thunder and hail upon the earth. And then in Joshua 10, 11, we read that as Israel fled from her enemy, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven 
you know, something supernatural, but in a natural way. And then we also read in Ezekiel 38, uh, 22, it tells us that when God destroys Gog, who comes to take Israel, God will rain down on Gog and his troops, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. To me, that sounds pretty supernatural. But I believe it in a literal sense when I read that. And so we could read what we're reading here. That God is somehow going to open up that earth. Um, just like we know that God opened up the earth and swallowed up Korah. Do you remember that story? And his household that rebelled against Moses. And God opened up the earth and the earth closed back over Korah and his family. So... This could be a very supernatural act of God. Look what happens, though, after the Antichrist and his armies are swallowed up. Look what happens when God intervenes on behalf of Israel. Look at verse 17. And the dragon was enraged. It's like... <laughs> It's like foil in his plan, and now he's even madder. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The dragon being enraged with the woman. You see, Satan never wins, he will always fail at any attempt to change what God has ordained to happen. He'll always fail. Amen? And so he goes to make war with the rest of her offspring. Again, we have different in opinions. Uh, I'll put them out there to you, but the woman's offspring by some are Jews that get saved. And during the tribulation period, there are going to be Jews and Gentiles both who are going to get saved. But these are the offspring of those that come from the nation of Israel who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they get saved during the tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to go after, be enraged and go after the offspring. Those who, as it says... Here, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The other view is that this is speaking uh, here of the Jews that get saved, meaning like the 144,000 Jews that are sealed by God, the two witnesses that are sued, that the Antichrist is pursuing them. These are believers. These are sealed by God. These are Jews that are going to be pursued by Satan. There are others that believe that the offspring could be of a Gentile sort, that we are the offspring that came through and got saved, and there's going to be Gentiles even during the tribulation period that are going to suffer great persecution uh, during the tribulation period. You see, the Antichrist is not going after just Jews. He's going after Jew and Gentile. He's going after every soul that's out there that he is seeking to destroy. 
And so that's chapter 12. The war in heaven and the war on earth. And in in a snapshot of really what Satan's plan is going forward. When we get to chapter 13 next week, we're going to look at the Antichrist more closely. We're going to look at the false prophet more closely in that chapter. We're going to see how those two are going to uh, line up uh, during that into a one world government, a one world monetary system, a one world religious system. All you have to do is look at the world around you right now and you can tell, I believe as a Christian, we are living in the days where we should be looking up. Looking up. Our redemption draws near when we see these things. And so I get excited reading. I get excited believing. As I'm reading the word of God, I'm believing what it's saying. That these things will come to pass. It brings a lot of things into perspective, Christians. Life is short. And I I think that we need to run hard in these days. And so we're going to partake of communion.